This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle, joined once again by my co-host, PWI Contributing Writer and uh, Celebrated Author and Podcaster, Brian Solomon. How are you? I am doing great, Al. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. Yes, I got uh, finally got your book uh, in the mail. Um, I, I got my, I think I told you, I got your book, uh, very nicely shipped and I got, uh, a PWI <laughs> not as well taken care of by the mailman, uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, within uh, the same couple of days, uh, but very excited, uh, to, to read your book. I was in Florida for a couple of days and, uh, got started on it and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge book reader, but, but intend to see this one through. Great. You know, I just came back from Florida myself. I wonder oh, if you really? we were there at the same time. I was there last right. week, Sunday to Thursday. I was there uh, Friday through Monday. So, yes, at least we overlapped for a day. Oh, okay. Could have done one of these in person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in uh, Florida. And- yeah, absolutely. Uh, so a uh, lot to talk about. Uh, you know, the, the last episode we did, there wasn't a whole lot of news. And sure enough, as soon as you like, you know, hit stop, uh, all hell breaks loose. So we got a little bit of a backlog of a couple of big stories that um, we intend to talk uh, about. Uh, one obvious one is the situation with Sasha Banks and Naomi leaving WWE, being suspended. Uh, we're going to talk a lot uh, about that in, in just a bit. Uh, and then I think, well, I mean, who would have thought this would even be a conversation, but we might be talking about the return of Ric Flair to the ring, uh, of all people, at 73 years old. Uh, we talked a little bit about the prospect of, of Vince McMahon returning to the ring for WrestleMania and both thought how wacky that was, and, and little did we know that a few uh, months later we'd be dealing with something like that again. Um, and then uh, later on, going to hear from Billy Corgan. This is an interview that I conducted um, for a forthcoming uh edition of PWI. I think it's a the Supercards uh, issue, the August issue, um, the hot seat interview. It's going to be a portion of the interview because we went really long. And uh, Brian, you know, this was like one of my bucket list uh, interviews uh, for a while. So I was really thrilled to do it. I mean, I'm a Pumpkins fan from from way back and um, been, been wanting to talk to, to Billy, who's the owner of the NWA. They got a big show coming up on June 11th, um, Always Ready. And we talked to all things NWA. And this guy, Loves his wrestling, knows his wrestling, and uh, frankly could be a little bit ornery. <laughs> I don't know that we, we got <laughs> off on, on the best foot uh, at, wow. at the beginning, um, but it was fun. Yeah, no, I mean, like uh, one thing, and, and you'll hear for yourself, one thing that, that I learned is do not call the NWA throwback. <laughs> and and I know you and I have talked about how, you know, so much of what we enjoy about the NWA is kind of like that nostalgia retro sort of vibe, but uh, it's certainly, I don't, he doesn't deny it, but I think... He's a little, maybe a little uh, sensitive about it. So uh, a fun conversation, uh, a super uh, uh, interesting guy uh, to talk to. And yeah, it's long, so I do, we'll, we'll give you a portion here. Maybe we'll we'll do another portion um, in a forthcoming episode. Uh, right now, let me tell you about uh, the I guess the latest couple issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, as I mentioned, I just got mine, and that was a, a, a an, that might be the May issue. So, uh, like we've talked about, there was a, a backlog. We were we fell behind uh, because uh, of an issue, I believe, with our uh, uh, 
a database issue, I think is what we were calling it. Uh, so Kevin knows more than I do. Anyhow, we're getting caught up. Um, by now, you should have uh, at least the, the May and probably uh, the May and the June and before long, you should have the August uh, issue as well. The August issue is the return of the Supercards. Uh, a, a fun uh, issue. Again, this is something that, you, you know, talking about uh, retro and, and old school, uh, this was a fixture of Pro Wrestling Illustrated in the uh, 80s and 90s, and uh, Kevin uh, brought it back. And timing-wise, it's perfect. We've got coverage of WrestleMania, of AEW Revolution, of the NWA Crockett Cup, Stardom uh, World Climax, uh, New Japan's 50th Anniversary, the return of Ring of Honor and uh, Supercard uh, of Honor, Triple uh, A Rated Reyes tournament, and um, I'm sorry, a Rated Reyes show, and uh, a lot more. So tons of uh, coverage, photos. I know you got you were involved in some of the coverage, uh, Brian. Uh, a super fun um, issue, and as I mentioned, my uh, Billy Corgan uh, hot seat, and uh, a lot more. If uh, you are a subscriber, it, it's on its way. We are still looking to make good with our uh, print subscribers, who uh, we value uh, so much. As as I mentioned, I know we fell behind. Um, we'll make it up to you. Uh, more details over on pwi-online.com, uh, and uh, go there for all things uh, PWI. All right, um, Brian, and, and while I'm mentioning it, I, I believe um, for, for folks who, again, don't want to wait for it to arrive in the mail, um, I think we're making uh, some digital editions available uh, on our blog over at PWA-Online. So, so again, everything is over there. Uh, Brian, let, let's talk a little bit about Sasha Banks and Naomi. Uh, first, let me mention that that uh, I tried to get um, some of our female writers from the magazine to join us. I think they offer an, an important perspective. I reached out to uh, uh, Candace and to Kristen, and uh, just schedule-wise, we couldn't make it work. We uh, absolutely welcome them on any time um, to talk about this in, in the near future. My sense is that this is a story that's going to unfold over weeks and months, so there's going to be more opportunities uh, to talk about it. It is uh, a delicate subject, uh, uh, Brian. Um, I've, I've kind of tried to think carefully about uh, what I want to say uh, here. Uh, and, and part of uh, the issue here is that you know, we don't even really have half a story. I mean, what we have is uh, WWE's very kind of carefully crafted corporate statement about uh, what happened and uh, really not much at all from the other side other than just kind of some some gossip uh, and and what have you. Uh, but big picture, a couple of weeks ago on Raw, they were scheduled to be involved in the main event. It was some kind of um, a multi-person uh, matchup with the winner challenging for the Raw championship, I believe at the next pay-per-view and as WWE tells it um they had an issue with some of the creative left their championship belts uh, uh backstage and walked out in the middle of the show and um past that you know f fan fans know um what WWE's been putting out there what what they've had Michael Cole say and Corey Graves and everybody else so uh the the, the messaging on WWE's part has been uh, pretty, I don't know what the word is, pretty harsh. I mean, it's a throwback to um, uh, Steve Austin going, uh, taking his ball and going home. The screw job, we've, we've seen Vince McMahon and WWE in, in this mode before, and uh, but it's been a while, and now Sasha and Naomi are the latest targets. Uh, let me get uh, your take. I mean, I'll leave it open-ended for you. W what do you make uh, of what happened, and is is it as complicated as I make it out to be, or do you think it, it's a lot sort of clearer who the good guy and bad guy is here? Well, I think all you have to do is look at 
the other examples that we've been talking about. And you can see most of the time when these things happen, uh, it's the company that's the bad guy. I mean, quite honestly, uh, you know, this the, another one you didn't mention was CM Punk, because, sure. you know, when that happened again, you know, my instinct is is usually unless I hear something that makes me think otherwise, my instinct is always in these situations to side with the talent because they need to look out for their best interests, even though that goes against the WWE propaganda that fans get fed about, you know, sacrificing their bodies with joy for our entertainment. You know, they need to look out for their careers, their interests, and make sure they're not being taken advantage of because if they don't, nobody else will. Um, so, you know, we it feels like something was brewing for a long time, particularly with Sasha. Uh, now, of course, there was the situation with um, Bailey and Sasha where they apparently, you know, uh, objected to some creative decision making in the past. Uh, but even the the relationship between WWE and Sasha, I don't know if you have been picking up on this. It It was starting to feel weird. I don't know how to describe it. Awkward. There would be, you know. Uh, Sasha making these kind of cryptic tweets about Vince McMahon, almost like in this playfully teasing tone that maybe wasn't so playful. I don't know if you caught any of that. It's, it's been going on for, for weeks and weeks, these weird tweets about, um, you know, how much she loves Vince McMahon. It, it just feeling almost, almost passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, WWE making these, to me – strange kind of tribute videos to her for apparently no reason and, and and running them even on shows where she wasn't appearing almost like they were trying to kiss up to her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously these days there's the fear of people going to AEW. There was just an odd dynamic going on. And I know, I, I, I think they have to recognize too, even though we have no idea what her next move is um, for her to go to AEW uh, that's a big one. I don't yeah. think people realize how big that is, um, especially if you're if you're beyond the kind of hardcore wrestling bubble. That is a big deal. She can walk in and immediately be by far, Britt Baker included, the biggest star in the women's division. Um, so, I mean, that's not something I think they want to have happen. So it seemed like they were trying to keep her happy in some weird way. They apparently have failed. Uh, but again, until I hear more, until I hear something that makes me think otherwise, I am on their side, meaning Sasha and Naomi. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things uh, that I want to respond to there. Uh, first, I think you're absolutely right about AEW. You know, we've talked a lot about how crowded the roster is over there and how a lot of times, uh, these wrestlers that AEW picks up from WWE or other companies kind of get lost in the shuffle. That wouldn't happen with Sasha Banks. She goes over there and she's the top person in the women's division, a, a division that that frankly isn't all too deep. Um, and I don't know if this is a hot take, but but I was thinking this before all this happened. For my money, Sasha Banks is the greatest female performer in the history of WWE. I think that highly of her. I just think she is uh, an absolutely polished a performer in in every way. Uh, we were talking about this after, maybe ahead of um, a WrestleMania or, or what have you. But 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 she is like th- this this veteran uh, who is such a pro every time she's on TV and uh, to me has everything that you want uh, in a performer. 
and I believe is not 30 years old yet. So, you know, this would be a coup of coups uh, by AEW. You, you got to think WWE doesn't want that to happen. I don't know the logistics of it um, in, in terms of what her contract situation uh, is. You know, does it even come to that? Do they just outright release her because there's so many so much hard feelings here? Um, I don't know. But but yeah, I, I got to imagine Tony Khan somewhere is just chopping at the bit of, over the potential, at least um, for for um, Sasha as well. Uh, and, and, and Naomi's a, a, a real talent, too. I mean, I, I'm sure that they could both end up over there. Naomi's got uh, some other connections. It's, it's in some ways it's a little more complicated with her. And as you touched on, I mean, I do feel like this really is a story about Sasha Banks and uh, uh, Naomi, I think, being a loyal friend, loyal partner, uh, kind of standing by uh, Sasha. Um, and as you touched on, this is not the first time that we have uh, known about some dissatisfaction, some unrest uh, on on Sasha's part. Um, and uh, as you also touched on, I, I think a, a lot of people, a lot of fans uh, and just observers, by and large, have sympathized with her because for for what I just said, and I think a lot of people agree with, uh, of her being the absolute best, uh, and, and that's in WWE, which uh, has you know R- Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch and um, Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair. I mean, th- right there, those three. Uh, I, I know you hate the uh, the Mount Rushmore uh, analogy, but if there was one, <laughs> they might be on it. And I think Sasha's better than all of them. Uh, and and so that's that that goes to how highly I think of her. And the reality is she has not been portrayed that way uh, by and large for the last couple of years. And I think there's all kinds of re- I, I don't think it's as cut and dry as they don't know what they have in her um, They're You know, she's in the doghouse. I think there have been some creative missteps. Absolutely. A couple of years ago, Sasha and Bailey was the hottest thing in, in all of wrestling. And, um, you know, we frankly never got a, a satisfactory payoff uh, for, for that. That could have been a, a big WrestleMania match. I think they ended up blowing it off on, on an episode of SmackDown. Um, and since then, you know, just kind of half in, half out. And it does feel like they're, they're kind of trying to stay in her good graces. I wonder if the fact that she she is still relatively young um, gives them the feeling of we've got time with her. You know, we don't know how long we've got uh, Rhonda or uh, Charlotte. Um, we got to strike while Iron's hot with them. Sasha is still um, could be relatively young in her career. She could be doing this for another 10 years uh, or more. Uh, but I have a lot of uh, uh, I want to throw it back to you. But um, what what you said about siding with the wrestlers, I absolutely uh, understand that. And even having relatively little information about what happened, I, I think it's and CM Punk put out something kind of touching on this as well, that that it's important sort of no matter what, that they stick together because of what they're up against. Right. WWE is the big corporate monolith. They have all the chips, all the leverage. Um, we know certainly relative to other pro sports, how little of um, the revenue coming into WWE. And they just had their, their most recent financials and it's just off the charts, the money they're making. Um, everybody in the company is underpaid by that that standard, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Sasha uh, as well. And yeah, they've sort of been screwing around with her, or at least she feels that way. You know, she has been 
on the outside um, of, you know, that that group, Charlotte, uh, Rhonda, Becky, for uh, a long time now. And, you know, she got the consolation prize with the tag team title, which, frankly, WWE has never valued uh, all that much. But um, this is partly devil's uh, advocate and partly, I, I think, um, um, legitimate. What about the notion that she is an employee and what she is paid to do is run the play, right? We, we've all had jobs and have them now where your employer wants to uh, gives you an assignment that you're not crazy about, that you might think is a bad idea, uh, and maybe you speak up about it, but at the end of the day, you got to do your job. And um, walking out of the office or, or whatever the setting is, uh, is unacceptable and it's unprofessional. Um, um, you know, look, by all means, if you want to quit, quit. Uh, but that's not good business. Is there something to that, uh, or or no? Is it is it that cutting dry? That is it a matter of you know WWE is is mishandling her. The creative stinks. She had a right to uh, speak up. She chose this to be her hill to die on, and that's fine. Well, you know, I I understand the company's point of view. And the thing, you know, if you're WWE, um, you don't want to make it seem like anybody could just do this whenever they feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's got to be some kind of repercussion that happens. I understand that they can't uh, they have to try to discourage it from their corporate point of view. But it's also worth looking at the root causes of this, of why does it happen? Because you really get the sense Anytime this happens, in this case especially, there is a feeling of of support from the rest of the talent. And I know they don't want to go too far and they don't want to stick their neck out too far. But if you see them on social media and you see the kind of subtle messages they send whenever these things happen, it is a form of solidarity. So obviously there is a realization that there are issues there. There are problems. There are a lot of frustrated people. And yes, it is a job. And there is professionalism in a job, but also in any job, I would tell anyone that feels like they're being mistreated, misused, uh, mishandled uh, over over a span of, of time, um, leave. Absolutely. Leave the job. And, and you know, as far as the timing of it and, and walking out during a show and, and that sort of thing, obviously, it's not ideal. Um, but you know what? Here's the thing. They can't have it both ways. Either these people are independent contractors or they're not. Do you know what I mean? Right. Uh, They're really not, at least to hear WWE talk, they're not employees. (laughs) They're independent contractors, even though they're not allowed to work anywhere else. And even though we all kind of know they haven't truly been independent contractors for about 25, 30 years now or more. But um, they, they are supposed to have some kind of autonomy. If they're not happy with the way their career is going and the way they're being handled creatively, they have the the right to go somewhere else. And, and you know, when you see something like this happen and it's done in a way that, yes, you, you know, you can question the professionalism of it. You have to ask yourself what obviously what has led to this. This cannot just be somebody waking up on the wrong side of the bed one day. You know, this has been building. What is happening? What what led to this? Um, I think before you can completely judge like that, that's what happened with um, 
the cases of Bret Hart and Steve Austin and CM Punk, there was, as time went by, more and more came to light uh, as to why they were thinking the way they were thinking and why they did it to go beyond just the way the company chooses to spin it. Yeah. Yeah, I I think um, one of the the issues with with, um, Sasha that makes it a little different than some of those others is that there is a little bit of a track record here, right? Of, um, that's true. You know, she doesn't like something. So, um, she, she kind of storms off and part of of why it's so hard to even talk about this, um, coherently, uh, fairly is that we don't really know what happened, right? I mean, what's out there was, there was this multi-person match. Supposedly, I guess Naomi was supposed to win it. So it, it wasn't that it sounds like, uh, uh, what I've I've heard, what I've read, is that one of the issues is that essentially the the plan was it was building to both of them challenging for their for a uh, the Raw and SmackDown um, championships respectively at pay per view and losing. So I think that might have been Sasha's concern is um, you know you're building us up just to beat us both and that that makes us look weak and, and I I get that there's something to that. WWE suggested that they had some issue with with some of the performers who were in that match. That seems weird. I don't know if if um, I, I don't know what's to that. If they were just saying that to to kind of uh, disguise what the real issue was. Uh, but again, Sasha's got a little bit of a track record here. And, and um, one thing that I that I think that we um, shouldn't take for granted is that yes, there was Steve Austin and there was CM Punk. And there was um, who's the other one? I forget. Bret Hart, obviously, and 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 a handful of others uh, over the years. But do do you think those are the only folks over the history of WWE who have been dissatisfied with uh, a storyline? Um, and certainly not. A, a lot have opened up uh, over the years uh, in interviews uh, later and talked about it. I actually interviewed Drew McIntyre a few weeks ago for something else where we talked a little bit about that. And he talked about how, um, I guess this was around a year ago, they had him cutting promos where he would tell these um, these, these stories about Scottish history. And, and he thought it was stupid. And, you know, and he was pretty frank that he, it just wasn't him. It wasn't his voice. He didn't like it. Um, and I, I asked him sort of what, you know, what is your comfort level in that situation to, to speak up and, and say something? And he said, um, essentially that he always felt the door was open to go tell, to, to, to make clear to Vince McMahon when you're really not feeling something and you don't think it works. And beyond that, he said, Vince McMahon wouldn't force you to do anything that, that, um, you don't think it's going to work because he wants a good product too. Do I totally believe that? No, I think, I, I think he's being mm. a little disingenuous and maybe a little, well, uh, I also I, think sometimes they're getting worked. Unfortunately, sure. you know, they may not be disingenuous. People have talked about in the past and I was never close enough to really speak on authority, but how very often the strategy will be, you know, Vince, Vince wants to appear to be the good guy. So very often he will hear the talents out. He will talk to them. He will kind of like hear their side of things and seem very accommodating. And then what will happen is he will he will instruct people like right. John Laurinaitis, yeah. like like Bruce Pritchard in the past, maybe like Jim Ross. And that might have been the cause of some friction between them. He will instruct them to carry out 
his real desires, but then the blame will fall on them as yeah. like you said, the hatchet men. So I think, I think that's something sometimes that even the talent doesn't always comprehend sadly. Yeah. All that said, I mean, I think my big, my big point is that, you know, do I believe Sasha Banks could be, should be, uh, uh, in a bigger role in WWE? Sure. Um, do I think she's been buried? No, no, not at all. Uh, I, I, th- I think by and large, they know what they have in Sasha Banks. Some of it might be sort of uh, a timing. We, we've talked relatively recently here about how you can't always be in that main event mix. And sometimes you're kind of, you know, rotated in in and out. And, um, you know, for all we know, she was about to be rotated back in. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's a situation like... Um, ricochet or something right i mean ricochet who came over to wwe as a world-class uh a worker with a giant reputation and has spent most of the last couple of years working on on main event or something like that um i i think they know sasha banks is a big big star you know she she does the nickelodeon kids choice award she was in the mandalorian she's her cousin is snoop dogg she's a star i think they know it i i do think in the next year or or maybe longer than that, they would have plans to um, put her in the very, very top. Um, so that makes it a, a little uh, trickier when somebody walks off uh, because they don't like uh, and, and I don't want to minimize it to to a certain a finish or a certain match, because clearly it's it, it's about more than any one thing. It's about sort of where she's positioned. Um, but this is all to say, and I don't know how this is going to uh, end up, but but part of me uh, really thinks that Sasha may look back and regret this. And that depends also on, on where she lands, wh- wh- whether she shows up in AW, what her contract situation is. Uh, but I think back to to Steve Austin and he regretted it. Right. I mean, he's he's spoken many times about how that was yes. not the, the way to do business. And um you know, I'm trying to be careful here because I know there's a lot of competing well, I, facts. Yeah. And you got to I think one thing we have to be careful about, especially is, you know, you don't want to create an environment where and I'm not saying you're doing this, but you don't want to create in general an environment where uh, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like the judgment being placed on them, meaning Sasha and Naomi, is for whatever reason worse and harsher uh, I, I mean, Brock Lesnar threw the belt at Vince McMahon yeah. <laughs> in his face in gorilla and walked out, you know, and I don't and I don't think he caught as big of a backlash. So, you know, that's why I, I'm trying to be understanding that the thing about Austin that you mentioned him and like we were saying before we started recording, I was working for the company when that happened. 2002, he walked out immediately after WrestleMania 18. It was a very bizarre situation. I remember I came into work the day after WrestleMania because I didn't get to go to that one. That was the Toronto one. And the people that did go that I worked with, they said they were coming back. They were in the airport to go home and they saw Austin getting on, quote unquote, the wrong plane. They were in the airport and they said, well, that's not where he's supposed to be going. He, he wasn't going where the rest of the talent was going, he was going to Texas and and they were trying to understand what he was doing. And then, of course, we all found out in a day or two that he had basically walked out on the company. But the, the thing is, um, 
I understand why he regretted it, because I have to say, out of all the examples we've been talking about, and it's tough to say with Sasha and Naomi because it's so new, um, Austin's situation was probably the one where I, I feel the most like it was an overreaction on his part. And I understand, you know, for people that may not have been watching then or remember, you know, he was very sensitive that he was stuck in his mind in a mid-card WrestleMania match with Scott Hall and that then they were going to ask him the job to Brock Lesnar on regular TV, you know, just a regular Raw or SmackDown match, you know, uh, and he felt the problem was he felt all of a sudden extremely paranoid because he had uh, built the company up, saved the company in a lot of ways when a lot of these guys had left. Hogan was gone, who, who he never liked. Hogan was gone. Hall was gone. Nash was gone. You know, Bret Hart left. All these people were leaving. Randy Savage. And it was it was Austin who, who essentially saved the company from a financial point of view. And especially that's how he saw it. And in his mind, what was happening was, OK, now these guys are back. Hogan's back and his buddies. And they're just going to, like, kick me to the curb. Now, I don't think that that is what they were planning to do. But that's how he saw it. And I do think that he overreacted a little bit in that particular case, because I think it was just a, a, a moment where, you know, he was maybe briefly out of that main event picture. It was getting a little crowded. But I think certainly if his health had held up, that there were going to be many big money matches for him in the future that they probably had in mind, including Hogan himself, if he would have worked with him. But, you know, in that case, I do think there was a bit of an overreaction. And you know what? Maybe this will turn out to be like that, too. Yeah. But I don't think we really know yet. Yeah. I, I Hearing you kind of go through the nuances of that situation, uh, it strikes me to be very similar to, to what's happening uh, with Sasha. I mean, I think of all those uh, examples we've got over, it's maybe the closest comparison when you talk about somebody who uh, has been star and knows um, they could still be a huge star and 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 be one well into the future, but for all kinds of reasons is on the outside looking in uh, right now. And, you know, Sasha's got Ronda Rousey, the, the one of the biggest stars in women's sports of the last generation, who, as I said, you don't know how long you have her, but if you there's a thought and and look. I'd absolutely argue that that uh, a Sasha Charlotte match at WrestleMania would have been better and maybe better received uh, by fans. But I understand you got you got Ronda. You're going to put her in in um, a big match at WrestleMania. So um, I, and I don't know whether she's feeling paranoia, but but I, I, I do think it sounds like there's a feeling of being underappreciated um, and 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 maybe fed up. And on the flip side, kind of like with Austin. I could see Vince McMahon and WWE feeling, look, we know you're great. You know, we we know what we have in you and we're going to get back to you. Just chill out a little bit, you know, and uh, we guarantee you, you will you're going to be in, in the mix uh, up top and for years to come. Again, when you're talking about somebody who is is barely uh, 30 years old. Um, so. Again, I mean, I want to say this for a millionth time, but 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 knowing so little about um, what's happening, it, it it's tough to to really give kind of like an a, a accurate analysis here. One thing we we can talk about is WWE's reaction, right? So we haven't heard from uh, Naomi Naomi and 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 Sasha, and and that's one of the things 
that I, I think in a way builds sympathy for them is that they don't have that that pla- I mean, I suppose it could go on social media and, and go spouting off. I think it's credit to them that they haven't. Um, uh, meanwhile, you've got WWE seemingly at every turn, you know, take an opportunity to tear them down. And again, you know, some some echoes of what happened with Steve Austin um, and, you know, Jim Ross. I forgot what was what was, it, what was the show? Uh, Confidential. I think yes. where they, they did a whole episode where he took his ball and went home and uh, certainly with Brett screwed Brett. So uh, they, they don't hesitate to really tear somebody down, even if, you know, the the, the likelihood is that they are going to return. And now they return potentially weekend because you, you, you hurt their reputation. So what do you think about the way WWE has handled this? Uh, very strange. I mean, um, the 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 kind of what would you call it, like PR release, whatever it was that they put out, um, it was just weird to me it felt different from mm-hmm. any response they'd ever made uh it 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 wasn't really a press release it was almost like a, a meme or something that yeah. they put out. it was really and and the way that they um went into such strange detail uh it, it felt definitely like damage control it almost felt a little bit rash like they were allowing me when i say they i mean vince or whoever was the decision maker involved was allowing uh kind of sore feelings to 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 make them jump the gun it it felt like maybe they should have taken a breath and decided and see how things were shaking out before they made any kind of statement because it just seemed to make it worse and 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 it made them seem very petty and it and it made Sasha and Naomi, at least to me, seem even more sympathetic for for doing what they did. And I'm sure that wouldn't have been their intention by doing that. It just it just was weird. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And, and it's the one uh, place where I think we can opine sort of um, uh, with some knowledge of what's happening because it's out there. I mean, you could judge what they said. And, yeah, I think it, it's petty. I think it's a real bad look for them. Uh, it was wholly unnecessary, um, you know, uh, unless the idea is um, if they think they are truly on their way out. And again, I don't know the logistics of their contract situation and how much of that is possible, but you want them to be damaged goods on their way out. You want to hurt their reputation. You want to put it out there that these are not people that you want to do business with. Um, they're going to play dirty. Uh, so so if it is sort of it, it, it's it's still not the right thing to do but at least strategically i could see what they're trying to do there uh but it, it doesn't feel like that is it it feels just sort of like petulant and um and really uh ill-advised i mean i think back to do you know when macho man left the company uh this is now 20 years ago or, or what have you and uh no what am i saying 30 years ago almost. it's almost 30 years uh, 94 yeah. 94 yeah. right um and um the the only thing the only way they dealt that at all was was Vince McMahon on TV putting him over huge right and and thanking him for all those years of service if they did anything I wish that would it would have been that but honestly I wish they did nothing at all you know I, I guess you have to explain something you say it's wrestling right you could say they were freaking hit by a car in, uh, backstage or or whatever um they they've been attacked and then you just drop it right and and right and, you know. Uh, but but th- that's the the one place where they lose that higher ground here, right? I mean, I I think again, 
reasonable people can argue that WWE is in the right in this situation, uh, in in or, or th- they could be sympathetic to WWE because uh, really at the end of the day it's it's Sasha and Naomi that did something they're the ones that that walked out but th- I think they lose a lot of that uh, sympathy and and credibility um, for their handling of this and and it it it's really ugly um, what do you think is the most likely way that this uh, all turns out if I had to pick right now I think. They and I don't know if it's a month down the line, six months down the line. I think they all make nice. I don't know about that. Um, the reason I'm hesitant to say that is because, again, without knowing, with, with only getting like the tip of the iceberg feelings of what's going on here, and and trying to like gauge what's under the surface of the water based on that, um, I I tend to believe that for them to put out. A, a message like what they did in the form that they did um, and, and it being so unique and rare for them to do something like that, that almost seemed like DEFCON 5 to me. Like, like that was made with the thinking of they're dead to us. You know, you know what I mean? That was like a Brett screwed right. Brett kind of thing. Like I don't think – I think if they – if the company – was thinking, oh, we're going to salvage this. We're going to fix this. We'll, we'll make them happy. We'll make it right. They wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have put that out like that. They might have They might have put out something, but it wouldn't have been like that. It was the tone of it, the timing of it, the wording of it. It just felt like the hell with these people. So long, don't let the doorknob hit you on the way out kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one other thing I want to talk about, it, and, and something you said before made me think about it, and this is where it would have been good to have Kristen or, or – um, um, uh, Candace on, uh, do you think any uh, uh, part of the way WWE has handled this, either the the, the treatment uh, of them or, again, this aftermath of the messaging they put out, um, does does any part of that have to do with them being women? Um, and, and is that to say, if if it's a tag, if it's, a, if it's um, you know, who's the equivalent, of, you know, the, the men tag team champions, you know, let, let's say it's it's Riddle and, and Orton, um, does this play out the same way? Because one of the things that that I'm thinking about is is conversation we had in the last episode about Tammy Sitch and how um, after Tammy Sitch, I I think there was a conscious decision on the McMahon's part: don't let any woman have so much power in WWE. So is is there uh, some uh, a part of that that relates to them being women? I think there is. I really do. And that's kind of why I brought up before some of the comparisons. And I feel like um, the response and I think that might have even been what ticked them off even worse, specifically Sasha, the sense that they were being treated differently, that they were being not taken as seriously. You know, when you think about situations of guys that have taken issue with Vince, it's there's still a little bit of that old boys club mentality where Vince, you know, Vince is an alpha male and he has that sense of like, if I have an issue with, you know, one of my boys, one of my guys, we're going to work it out. We're going to lock horns and, you know, we'll, 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 uh, we'll have a little uh, pissing contest. If I could say that <laughs> we'll figure it out, but I don't think he's going to take the same attitude with a woman. 
I really don't. I think there's already an assumption on his part. There's a very different power dynamic. There's less patience. Um, I think the track record shows that. And I also think it's reflected even in the general reaction when things like this happen. Um, I mean, I think very often the talent winds up getting painted as the bad guy, even when they don't deserve to be uh, male or female. But I think in, in this case, it, it just feels even worse than usual the way that the way that it's being looked at. I mean, like thinking of them as, as spoiled brats and things like that. I mean, nobody would call Brock Lesnar a spoiled right. brat. You know what I mean? It's yeah, very yeah. different. It's different. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I, I agree. We've talked a lot about uh, a Sasha uh, and, and most of the stories I think have been about Sasha. But let's talk a little bit about Naomi. And, um, you know, the, there are reasons why it's sort of different uh, with her. Uh, one big one being, you know, <laughs> officially or unofficially, she's part of that bloodline. Right. I mean, she's married mm. to uh, Jimmy Uso, who is the cousin of the biggest star in all of WWE. Um, we've seen that potentially make a difference uh certainly with with jimmy so and with her in in the past i mean we know there have been some run-ins with the law where at least publicly we haven't seen much in the way of repercussions um so i don't know if you want to say you know that they're made or they're connected but but it it does seem there's at least other kind of um uh, mitigating factors that you have to consider when when dealing with naomi um who is uh been around for a while now is uh fairly popular is, is a talent i don't think anybody would put her in that all-time great list but but she's good to have around uh i i i actually think it wouldn't have been we might have talked about this not a bad idea to actually have before all this happened to put her in the bloodline i think i think she would um, yeah we did she could benefit yeah she'd benefit from from a change of character and pace because i think the whole uh you know glowing baby face thing is has maybe worn its welcome um, but uh, d does everything we've said apply uh, to her as well? Do you, do you expect maybe she gets different treatment here? Well, uh, you know, um, she is the one who has less of a like, let's say if there's a situation of them jumping ship to another company, there's definitely less of an upside for Naomi. I mean, I mean, you know, if I can compare it to the radicals, you know, Sasha is like an Eddie Guerrero. She's and pretty Saturn. <laughs> and Naomi is more on the Malenko and Saturn side of yeah. it. I mean, not, not to say that she's going to be dancing with a mop. But what I mean is, like, <laughs> she would kind of – I mean, look, I'm going to be very harsh to say this, but she would kind of be along for the ride in a situation like that where they may say, sure, yeah, no, Naomi can come too. Okay. But in the end, like, I, you know, her upside is not as big. But, you know, this the conversation we're having – has me thinking, and, th and this would be a very crazy thing, but I mean, crazier things have happened. If Roman, say, for example, we know he's got a tremendous amount of, of pull and stroke. If he were to somehow work it where Naomi is allowed back and Sasha is out in the cold, I mean, that mm. could happen, too, where Naomi finds her way back because of who she's connected to. And Sasha, let's say, winds up in AEW or winds up maybe not in the business. You know, I mean, I mean, stranger things have happened. But, but it's worth uh, uh, noting, though, again, that and and uh, again, no, knowing what we know, which isn't all that much, but it does sound like this originated with some dissatisfaction from Sasha. And all the stories are essentially Naomi stood by her, supported her, but she did not take the lead on this. So, um I could see them justifying 
maybe giving her a pass more, you know, and, and, and whether it really has to do with what her connections are, at, there is at least uh, some optics that they can work with and saying, well, she does deserve different treatment because she wasn't the ringleader here. Right. I mean, this was her sticking by uh, Asasha. But uh, yeah, a, a fascinating uh, story. One of the bigger ones, I think, of the of the first half year. I mean, it's just not often that you've got a big star walking off right in 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 the middle of the show and uh, all the repercussions um, that come with it and 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 interesting also because again it it makes you consider all these other things in, including you know just just miserable creative and i think it's better the last few months i think you know we've talked to the last episode we talked about how it does seem like wwe is in a little bit of of a rebound um in coming off of WrestleMania and even leading into WrestleMania, when you think about the, the low lows that we had in, in 2020 and 2021, it is a much better product um, than back then. But that's also kind of faint praise because WWE's creative overall has been, you know, terrible to sort of like uninspired for for years now. So um, I think as you touched on, yeah, that that is going to create some frustration and uh, unrest and r- regardless of who's in the right and who's in the wrong um, and the reality is it, it's probably a lot more complicated than that and and they're everybody can handle themselves uh, a little bit better i i do think and i do hope that and, and maybe i'm i'm hoping against home because maybe it's unrealistic but but that this is another situation that maybe gives wwe an opportunity to kind of look inward at how they do things and uh, yes, everybody could handle themselves better, but this doesn't happen if um, you're on the ball, right? I mean, if if you know what you've got in in Sasha Banks, and uh, you, you know that you've got again, what I say is the, the and they don't have to agree with this, but even if you don't agree that she's the greatest of all time, she's certainly in that conversation, and she's certainly just a super talent. And um, t- take care of your employees. Yeah. And they're not employees, right? They're, that, that's not their issue. They're independent contractors. But just know what you have uh, in them. And and uh, uh, kind of going full circle, it, it's sort of more valuable to to uh, uh, to be that way and, and to be that introspective now than ever before because there is an option for them, right? I mean, it's not – God are the days that, you know, uh, um, you know just let them eat cake where else are you going to go, right? I mean, you're going to go to to Impact or something like that. Like, no, there is right on the other channel, there's somebody with deeper pockets than you and and uh, who would jump at the chance of uh, promoting Sasha Banks. Um, let's talk about another super <laughs> weird story uh, that broke over the last couple of weeks, and that is um, the, re- the, the wrestling return of Ric Flair at, I believe, 73 years old. I guess it's official. Yeah. He's coming out of retirement uh, to work for uh, what they're calling Jim Crockett Promotions, which is, um, I guess, uh, an, an, an outfit that's being promoted in, in part by uh, Rick's son-in-law, Conrad Thompson, uh, in association with their big StarCast weekend uh, on SummerSlam weekend in, in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, last I heard, I guess the, the match isn't finalized. Uh, rumors were... Rocket Roll Express are involved. FTR might be involved. Briefly, the talk was that that Ricky Steamboat was going to be involved. I guess Ricky has said he, that's not true or maybe pulled out. Um, but a, another story with, I think, a lot of sides and a lot of different feelings. What was your reaction first when when you heard that this was happening? Well, 
I mean, you know, it, it's tough to say because, you know, I, I always loved Ric Flair. And I think uh, he always had that attitude of, you know, I still have one more in me. I still I still could go. Uh, you know, he does not want to be relegated to the past. And I remember when he was in WWE and they were, you know, they eventually retired him. And I think it was 2008 or 2009. And he was fighting that. He did not want to do that, the thing with Shawn Michaels. I mean, he fought against that. And I remember he had been pushing at the time um, for Steamboat because Steamboat was working in the company as a, as an agent. And also Dusty Rhodes was on the creative team. And Flair was pushing for, oh, I want to have one more match with Dusty. How great would that be? Or one more match with Steamboat, that kind of nostalgia thing. And And I think... I think in the case of Dusty, I think he actually was was on board, <laughs> and but but they they never you know Vince never wanted to make that happen. But he's always had that in his mind, like I'm going to do one more. I'm going to just you know, and this is very late in the game. So here's the thing: look, it's not unprecedented, it's not unheard of. I think we all have to accept. Look, this is what he wants to do. As long as you know he has to be um, physically cleared to do it. You, you know, that's the biggest concern is that something bad could happen in the ring, obviously, you know, as, as, as long as that's the case and it's something that's very low impact. I mean, it's not going to be pretty. It, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, anybody who saw, you know, Luthez against Masahiro Chono in, in, in the nineties in Japan, you know, when he was in his seventies, it was not pretty. Or like, if you remember when WCW used to do Slamboree, and they would oh, have yeah. the, these old timer matches, which on paper, it's like, oh, my God, that's phenomenal. I mean, I remember they did like Nick Bockwinkle versus Dory Funk Jr., but you're doing it in like 1994. You know what I mean? Um, it's not pretty, but uh, here's my thing. It, it's better to put him in there if he really has to do this with someone else that is of comparable age rather than have like some people were talking about that he wanted to challenge Nick Aldis, you know, for the NWA or not Nick Aldis, um, Matt uh, Cardona for, yeah. for the, for the NWA title. Um, that I think is where it becomes um, something that should not be allowed to happen. <laughs> but if he you know wants what? to have his, his one last hurrah, you know, I, I say, let him do it and, and just understand what it's going to be. That's all. It, it, don't make it the main event. And also, you know, look, like I said, the number one issue is health. You have to make sure it is safe. That's my biggest concern rather than just like, I don't want to see an old man in the ring. Like the more important thing is that he doesn't get hurt or killed. Yeah, yeah. I, I largely uh, agree with you. Uh, and I'm surprised because I think a lot of the uh, the feedback has been, uh, this is just a terrible uh, idea. And right, from from a perspective of a 73-year-old man with, I think he's got a pacemaker uh, and and uh, a, a whole history of health issues in recent years, is this a good idea for his health? No, it's it, it's certainly not, you know. No, it I'm, would be I'm better sure if he didn't do it. That's if he sure. stayed home. and, and or, yes. Right, but, but I also absolutely get if he wants to do it, let him do it. You know, um, th this is a guy who was was uh, again, forget about Mount Rushmore. Th this is the the greatest of all time. Right. I mean, I think mm -hmm. uh, uh, many people w would agree with that. I mean, th this is Babe Ruth. This is Michael Jordan. This is uh, Wayne Gretzky. And uh, for the last wherever it's been, 12, 14 years, he's largely been on the outside uh, looking in. And um, if he 
is uh, clearly cl- clearly closer to the the end of his life than beginning of it. Um, and this is something that he wants to do. Um, I say have at it. I mean, try to do it as carefully as possible. I think to uh, George H.W. Bush um, uh, skydiving. Didn't he skydive like on his on his 90th birthday? He did. Was, he did. Was that a good idea? <laughs> uh, no, but but I think he realized, look, whatever happens here is gravy. Right. I mean, um, I've, I've made it this far. If um, wrestling and performing in a ring is is what what's given Ric Flair uh, the greatest happiness and, and joy of his life, and he wants to do it one more time, um, would I promote it? No, <laughs> I mean I wouldn't want my name attached to it. Uh, but but uh, I think I think it makes sense that it is essentially a family um, uh, running it, and I'm sure. Uh, uh, Conrad is going to look out for the best interests of his his wife's father and is not going to put him in in a situation um, that he thinks is uh, overly dangerous. At the end of the day, it, it is wrestling. Right. And they always say it's not ballet. So can something, um, you know, catastrophic happen? Absolutely. Sure. Is there a relatively safe way to pull this off? Yes, uh, absolutely. Where I disagree with you somewhat is that that the best idea is to put him in there with somebody uh, similar age. I think that's potentially a disaster. I, I don't. Um, uh, I don't thinking, mind. Yeah, you're thinking somebody that that is more in shape and in their prime that could kind of carry sure. him. That kind. I think of you could have yeah. a, a Ricky Steamboat or somebody in the match, and I think you could have them chop each other. But I think you need some um, some pros in the prime of their career to ca- do a lot of the heavy lifting. I think Matt Car- Cardona makes a lot of sense, actually. He- he's exactly the kind of wrestler who I think um, could work out here. Did you see the, the video of, of uh, uh, Rick working out with Jay Lethal? I did. Yeah. yeah and, and yeah, he looks, you know, grading on the biggest curve ever. He looked okay. <laughs> and and I, could, I, I hope I could do that at 73. I mean, sure. yeah. I hope I could do it at 53. He, he's not going to be flipping over the the turn post and and going for that you know bump. He's not going to be you know a lot of those those signature Ric Flair spots. I, I wouldn't hold my breath uh, seeing you know uh, to to some extent we we just kind of saw this uh, with Steve Austin and look he he's not even sixty yet so it's not exactly the same but a lot of the same concerns of like is there a way to do this safely and, and Austin actually ended up doing a lot in that match he took a, yeah, yeah. a a bump on on the concrete but uh. uh Again, I think what what put a lot of people at ease in, in that, including Austin, was that you had Kevin Owens in there, who is, uh, you know, a pro's pro. Uh, so um, I, I, well, I hear FTR. I think that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Um, but actually, if, if the idea is that he'd be working with the Rock and Roll Express, then his his opponents in that would be. Uh, Ricky and Robert, right? So FTR wouldn't be bumping around with Flair. They'd be bumping no. around. For, for, for. Or, you know, that would be another way to protect him, actually, if you did a tag team match, you know? Yes. Right. And, and look, Rock and Roll Express are older guys. They're almost as old as Flair, but they're in the, they've are in they been in the ring nonstop. You know, they still kind of, they, they've still got that momentum and the stamina to go in a right. certain Ricky type trains, of match. Uh, he runs right. School, so, yeah, he, he knows how to do this. It would yeah. just be the question of who would be Flair's partner, you know, against them. But, yeah. you know, maybe that's what, you know, because when I heard initially that it was they were looking to do Flair Steamboat, that, you know, that actually made me think when I heard that it made the idea, I, I maybe you don't agree, but it made the idea more palatable to me than it had been before, because I thought, OK, you know what? 
it's going to be like a slow motion, low key version of a Flair versus Steamboat match. I could live with that. It's not going to be everybody pretending like, you know, he's still the Ric Flair of 1985 and he's like, you know, beating all these young guys. Like, like I, I felt comfortable going, yeah, okay, let's have old Flair versus old Steamboat and, and, you know, make it like an old timers match. But, you know, that's kind of, it, it made it more, um, I was more okay with it, if that makes sense. Because I didn't yeah. think that they were going to do anything that crazy or high impact. And I think because an, uh, an audience is going to be very forgiving for a match like that. They're not going to be booing these They're guys. They're going to love whatever he does. Right. Yeah. They're not going to be chanting boring, even if they are bored. You know what I mean? They're going to they're gonna give these guys uh, some respect. So I, I you know, Or Flair or whoever he's in there with. So, I mean, like, I don't think that there's going to be huge expectations on it, you know? Right. I mean, you're you're getting to see Ric Flair wrestle, which for uh, a whole generation of fans um, was something that that you thought was uh, impossible. Right. I mean, I've I thought about going down to to Nashville to take my kids to see it because, you <laughs> know, uh, a few years back when, when they were still relatively small, I took them to see Paul McCartney in concert just be, just to say you did right because right. you're you're the last generation that can say you saw a beetle perform live and they'll have no memory of it but but you have the story and i sort of feel the same way with rick flair i mean and and if it was in there with steamboat it would have been even even better i mean like i saw flair steamboat my my kids can tell their grandkids um but but all that said something of a, of a hot take and 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 i had been thinking about this actually well before any of this was announced going back a, a year or so ago if you're billy corgan who we're going to hear from uh, in a moment in this interview um i don't think it's the craziest idea uh, to consider putting the NWA World Heavyweight title on Ric Flair. You <laughs> oh know, it, it's it's always been, right, 16, 16 world titles. And, and, and a few years back, John Cena uh, tied him. And so now they share that. Um, and if again, if you're Billy Corrigan and you got the NWA and you want to put some um, some buzz on your product and on the 10 pounds of gold, how better than it, um, and I'm talking essentially a publicity stunt, right? I mean, uh, a gimmick. But imagine Cardona uh, calling out Ric Flair, teasing him, tearing him down. And, uh, you know, we've seen this a million times. Challenges him to a no-holds-barred match. All this comes out, clubs him with a chair or something like that. Flair rolls him up, one, two, three. Ric Flair is the world heavyweight champion for the 17th time. I think that could be something. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't know. I can't. I just cannot. I can't follow you there. I I, I would love to see. And look, it's not the WWE Championship. It's not even the AEW Championship. It's the NWA Championship. And I'm sure Billy that. could use publicity. Don't you think that that is not the kind of publicity you want, though? I mean, it almost becomes a joke at that point. Here's the thing. I can almost get with. If they, you know, because I had said how I'm more comfortable having him against, you know, someone near his age, I could almost get with this idea of maybe, let's say, him, he challenges Cardona. But the way I see it, the way it, it's more, uh, less of, to me, a cheap publicity stunt, more inspirational, less like grown worthy, is if they do it like, did you ever see Rocky Balboa, which is essentially Rocky sure. yeah. Six? Where it, it would basically be Rocky Balboa, where he gets in there, 
he gives the champion of the world, you know, everything he's got, takes him to the limit. But of course, in the end, you know, reality sets in. Yes, he he loses by a hair because he has to because he's an old man. But he walks away with his pride and he walks away with the champion, in this case being Cardona, the loudmouth, obnoxious punk saying, all right, you're Ric Flair. You're the nature boy. I have to respect that. You're the man. And I'm going to shake your hand. But not going so far as to actually have Flair win. You know what I mean? Like that I think I could live with a little bit more. Yes, yes. Now, the the issue there is that that scenario requires – um, I, I think more out of Ric Flair than, than anything we've talked about, right? I mean, we, we right. have True. what looks to be a a six man tag team match where you could get away with Flair tagging in a couple of times and doing a, a few signature spots. Um, what, what you're describing would require a full fledged match uh, against a, a guy who you know is is essentially in his prime right now. And to be um, honest, and, and, you know, thinking about it, that that's already what they did with Shawn Michaels with his I retirement. I was about to say match. that, yeah. Uh, now, now Flair was a lot younger there and 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 even there, and I think it's what made the match so great and so beautiful was that you you saw Flair struggle to be his younger uh, self. And that is now right. how many years ago? Uh, uh well, he was he was about, about 60. He was about 60 yeah. there. Yeah, I think he was 50, just shy of his uh, his 60th birthday. And and in retrospect, it's like, wow, he could have gone another few years. <laughs> and and he he did work in um in uh, Impact. You know, he's he is basically the age that Steve Austin uh, is uh, now, having just worked that match at, at WrestleMania. And 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 that takes me to nothing that I want to talk about related to this. And if nothing else, I hope this puts to rest uh, the whole concept of a retirement match and and i get a retirement match in terms of like selling some tickets um but it just puts wrestlers in the situation to have to go back on their word and they've done it so many times um i just say leave it alone right i mean like it's sort of like what we saw with the undertaker uh, a few years ago with with aj styles where we didn't know at the time whether it was his retirement match and he still was sort of you know, even now, com- not completely committal about it. But uh, maybe a better example up until this year was was Steve Austin and The Rock at WrestleMania 19. Nothing announced ahead of time. Um, but you're just done. And you and you go out and you say, well, you know, if, if that's the last match I wrestle. Great. That was a good way to go out. But who knows? We'll see it. Um, we'll see in the future, because this is now flares. I don't know how many time coming out of <laughs> retirement, you know. And, and 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 I think it's unnecessary because I think you should be able to come back whenever the hell you wants to, you know, within reason. And and so should anybody else, you know. This notion, it's sort of like, uh, you know, one of the concerts I'm looking forward to seeing uh, this summer is Motley Crue. And and uh, what was it? Less than ten years ago, uh, they they did a whole gimmick where they signed a contract on stage that this is going to be our final concert and they had lawyers there and it was legal and binding and all the band members signed it and and it was like an absolute locked uh uh you know uh, sealed uh contract and they're going on on tour this summer and they deserve said yeah we threw it away we, we burned it up so let's just not do that anymore if i never see another retirement match uh, i'll be happy yeah, I guess. I mean, I always remember as a kid, Gorilla Monsoon would always say, 
that he was the only guy that kept his word. He lost a retirement match. I think it was like in 81 and he basically never wrestled again. I think he might've had like one match after that, but he basically, and he would always say that I'm the only guy that stayed retired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the one that was sort of the most maddening that I remember was Mick Foley. Remember that uh, he, and, and, and he talked about all the time. I'm not going to be the one that comes out and, out of retirement in six months or whatever. And, and he had that Hell in the Cell match with Triple H back in 2000. And uh, there he was in the next pay-per-view. You know, right. But I, I remember he was actually very upset about that. He he did not want to do that. They they kind of forced him to do that, from what I understand. Uh, for that very reason, he felt like it made him look very bad. He was he said what you just said. He said, I, I just had this retirement match. And yeah. you're making me have a rematch on the next month's pay-per-view. That was not something he wanted to do. Well, he could have said no, uh, but yeah, but I understand they, they 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 um, but he shouldn't be in the position to have that make the make that decision because the reality was Foley was still able to go and and wrestled for many more years. At some point, he probably should have stopped wrestling. Um, uh, ju- just in terms of well, I shouldn't even say that because now I'm I'm contracting myself. He should be able to wrestle as long as he feels he's healthy enough to wrestle and somebody's willing to pay them uh, to wrestle. And that's part of it is like, how are you going to tell anybody like, no, you can't do your job and get paid for it anymore? Um, you know, I, I, I just I, I fundamentally disagree with it. I'm not saying in terms of is it a good idea in terms of protecting the health of a wrestler? That's a whole different conversation. And certainly a promoter is well within his right to say, I'm not going to you can't wrestle for me. You know, I'm not going to pay you and and put you uh, in danger. Uh, And certainly there are a lot of wrestlers who are well advised not to go in there anymore because of of, uh, the danger uh, that they can be putting themselves in. But but this whole idea of like. I don't know. It, it it it's tricky. And Flair, again, being an extreme case at 73 years old with with his history uh, of, of health issues. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think uh, we know that in wrestling, there's so much you could do with smoke and mirrors. We just saw Vince McMahon wrestle at, at WrestleMania, if you want to call it that. Uh, but but clearly uh, the, the theatrics of pro wrestling. Yes, you Rick Flair can put on a match or, or some semblance of, of a match in the, the the right setting with the right people uh, around him. And I think it could be very entertaining and he can make a buck and fans can say they saw Ric Flair wrestle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there is a way to do it. That's for sure. We'll, we'll yeah. you know, we'll see. Yeah. All right, Brian, this is a fun conversation uh, as always. Um, why don't you tell uh, everybody about some of what you've got, got going on? As I mentioned, I got your book in the mail. Uh, how's the book been doing the last couple of weeks? Sure. Um, it's been going really well, especially now that it is, you know, available fully through Amazon, you know, because there were a few weeks there where it was Amazon was out of stock. Um, so it's selling well there. And also um, the audio book. So I'm, I'm thinking even maybe by the time this comes out, um, the audiobook is set to go on sale at the end of, the, of May. So uh, that'll be available for download. Um, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real life story of wrestling's original Sheik. And the best part is I read it myself. So I'm the one narrating that. So it, for people that do audiobooks, that that's probably a good option, too. So have you just spent like the last several months in front of a microphone between this <laughs> and your other podcasts and recording an audiobook? Yes, you got to be was, sick at looking at that microphone. It's 14 hours long, the audiobook, oh. and that's just what is used. 
So I was in there like five full days doing this thing. And um, yeah, I, I never talked that much in my life. And I had I was in there with like tea with honey. Like I couldn't believe what a toll it takes on your voice. But yeah, you're right. Between like there's two podcasts. There's the audiobook. Plus for the past month, I think I've been plugging the book on someone else's podcast right. probably almost like every single day. So I'm kind of losing my mind a little bit, but it's fun. <laughs> now I feel bad about Bobby. No. <laughs> this was this is my original home. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> yeah. Um and and why don't you mention what what the podcast is? Sure. It's it's called Shut Up and Wrestle. And I'm I'm hoping that there are people that listen to this that go over there and give it a try cuz the focus of it is old school wrestling. And uh, the topic of old school wrestling depends on the the guest, so it's different every week. Um, so like recently, I had Manny Fernandez on, and we were talking about you know Crockett Promotions and work Championship Wrestling from Florida and all that stuff. And the the current episode right now, I have Brian Greenberg on, who was the co-producer of the Detroit Wrestling documentary. I like to hurt people. And actually, next week I'm getting to have, uh, or in in an upcoming episode, but I'm talking to him next week. My former editor at WWE Publications, Mike Fazioli. So we're going to be talking a lot about old school WWE magazine, Raw magazine. So it's all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's and uh, it's wow, yeah. I've been having a blast with it. Yeah, it's just called Shut Up Great. and Wrestle. Oh, the, you know, there's Go a check Facebook. Out everybody. There's a Facebook. Yes, group that's right. I would recently invite you. Yes. It. Yeah, so like people can join that, and there's like a little community growing. You could talk about the show and the guests, and I'll post like additional content. Like if we talk about a match on the show, I'll post the match on on the group. So you know, it's a fun little extra level for people. All right, shut up and wrestle. Go find it. And the name of the book again is Blood and Fire: The Unbelievable Real Life Story of Wrestling's Original Sheik. All right, go check it out, Brian. Thank you as always. I appreciate it. Uh, right Thank now, you. let's hear from uh, the owner of the NWA, and by the way, the frontman of the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan. You know, I just came back from Dallas last night, biggest show of the year, WrestleMania. Uh, do you watch WrestleMania? I did not watch WrestleMania, no. Okay. So, I mean, one of the things that, that made me interested in and in, in being there, just seeing kind of the, the scale of production, it's about as, as big as it gets, and obviously your NWA in terms of production standpoint is, is probably on the, on the, the other opposite, right. Uh, end of that. Um, so when, when you see a show that, that, uh, I know you didn't watch this show, but I'm sure you're no stranger to WrestleMania. When you see a show with that kind of production quality, is there anything for you to take from that for the NWA or do you just see it as kind of two completely different universes? No, I, I mean, I would love to have bigger production for the NWA. It's strictly a matter of budgeting. Um, you know, for those who don't know, I mean, I've been in a rock band for over 35 years and played the biggest stages in the world. So I love production, but I'm also, you know, because I have played in a band for 35 years, I know what production costs, you know, um, I'm not under any illusion with that pyro costs and everything that they're doing. So WWE, they put on the biggest show uh, on the planet for professional wrestling. And I have been to some of those stadium shows. I think I went to the one in New Jersey a few years back. It was just mind blowing the level of production. Um, so always a tip of the cap to them. No, I mean, for the NWA, um, look, you know, the NWA was the preeminent wrestling organization in the world for a very long time. And then it fell on hard times. And when I bought it, people sort of said, what is he buying? Um, and, you know, the, the most important thing right now for the NWA is credibility and quality. 
And I think I've demonstrated over the last four or five years that we've gone way out of our way to rebuild the credibility and the quality of the NWA product and the NWA brand to where we can run world-class events. Now, when I say world-class events, is it WrestleMania? Absolutely not. But by the way, nobody else is running that level of event and we don't need to name names. Why? Because it's really expensive. And if you're if you're putting your money in your talent, you're putting your money in your organization, you're putting your money in advertising, well, you know, production is probably the first thing that you're going to check off the list. So for the NWA, the most important thing right now is to establish credibility and quality. And if you look at where we started and you look at where we are now and you look at who's on the roster and you look at what we're capable of doing, we're now going two pay-per-views, then single pay-per-view, then two pay-per-views, single pay-per-view. Those are really, really big steps we're coming to take that was literally on life support only a few years ago. Do, do you have the, the benefit, uh, and maybe this is more a statement than a question, I think you do have the benefit of, in, in your sense, the the lower production costs is kind of part of the show, right? I mean, you, you've you had um, startups over the years that, as you touched on, wish they could do the pyro, wish they could do uh, the big sets, um, and they can't, so they sort of you know, piece together what they can because NWA is such a throwback. I, I mean, I've even, I know that there's little things that you can do that in the past you haven't done necessarily like entrance music and it all adds to the show uh, and, and doesn't take away. So is, is that by design? I mean, keeping this sort of um, a quiet kind of charm of a, a low production wrestling product? Um. First of all, I think your question is good, but I would quibble with it to the extent that we're not running a throwback organization. Um, we are running a gritty, in-your-face, physical wrestling product. So on the scale of what's important to the NWA, production is not high on the scale. Um, yeah, it can be charming, but it's it's not for lack of desire. I'm just not a fan, and let's call let, I, and I won't name names, I'm not a fan of watching promotions that sort of try to do production and they do basically, let's call it the B-level version. I'm more of the standard and I guess it's the DIY punk rock culture that I came out of as a musician. It's like either bring the pain from the stage and if you're not gonna bring the pain in production, just don't, don't kind of lose by trying. So I, I'm just not a big fan of like B-level production. I'm just not, I don't like it for my band and I don't like it for my promotion. So, um, Again, I, I think the focus has to be on innovation and, and product. And let me put it to you this way. At the grand scale of, of, of the WWE and WrestleMania, I mean, it is incredibly impressive. It's up there with the Super Bowl as far as spectacle, right? But does it really, really, really matter on a week-to-week -week level? No, it doesn't. Uh, there has been tons of dissension for, over the last decade about the WWE product. This gave rise to not only the opportunity for the NWA to come back, but also the rise of AEW. Um, Tony Khan is running arguably the hottest wrestling promotion on the planet right now. Uh, you don't look at them and say that's a high quality uh, product in terms of production. It's a high quality product in terms of wrestling, in terms of talent. But production is not high on their scale. You don't, you don't see Tony running anything even remotely close to what the WWE does on a weekly basis. So that's what I'm saying is what I'm trying to do is somewhat un unmoor your argument to the extent that professional wrestling has fallen into this kind of groove, which is like the way WWE does it is the way everyone should do it. UFC proved that as long as you have an octagon and, and a couple tough guys or a couple tough women, people are going to watch. UFC doesn't run very big production. Compare, compare UFC's production to Pride, which was in many ways the antecedent to modern UFC. 
Pride had incredible production in Japan. I mean, it was mind-blowing, the production they had. It didn't help Pride. So what I'm trying to say is I get it, but I'm here to innovate and change the game. Um, and at the end of the day, I may choose to just keep um, dollar for dollar putting my money into talent and, and quality level. Uh, and, and if people need, like, let's call it the spectacle part of that to watch wrestling, that may not be part of what I care about. So that's just where we part. I think people would be, or some people would be surprised to hear you say that um, the NWA isn't a throwback and that you're, you're primary... right I know where you're going, but let me say one thing, because I, I want to set up your question slightly differently. Okay. We are, we are not a throwback promotion. Anybody who thinks we're a throwback, a throwback promotion or has fallen in the groove with thinking that because of lazy writers and stuff, totally wrong. We are not a throwback production, a promotion. We are a 2022 promotion. Watch the product. Yes, we, we, we're the 73-year-old legacy of the NWA, but, and we reference our history because we should. No different than when Hulk Hogan comes out and waves to the crowd, right? We have a right to claim our legacy, and part of that is the charm of what the NWA created, literally from two, a ring and two people in a ring with a ref. But we are not a throwback promotion, and, I, and I, I, I'm not offended by the question, but I'm sort of getting kind of tired because it's sort of like the lazy take. And I'm not saying that's your take. But I hear this and I've heard it enough now where I'm just going to start fighting back on it because it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. But go on. Please ask your question because because I'd rather have this kind of back and forth. Well, yeah, I, I, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Some of it is um, semantics. Um, and, and right. Th throwback maybe brings a negative connotation. But uh, do you think it's fair to say that that some of the appeal for um of the nwa at least as somebody who's coming to it for the first time right so they don't know anything about your product and they put they, they put power on and they see the, the the ring apron that they remember from from when they were a kid and the flags hanging that's a, a part of the formula right and and i i think at least again to bring people in an important part of the formula i don't think it makes any difference we do it because we like it and we like honoring our history and having David Crockett at the Crockett Club. We love all that stuff. I love history. I collect, I mean, I'm sitting here with piles of memorabilia around me. I love old school, but I am not here to run old school. I'm here because I believe that what the old school represents is the next, uh, uh, is the future of professional wrestling. Um, I, that's just what I believe. And yeah. That's why I bought the NWA and that's why I've invested so heavily in it. So, yes, I think the throwback thing becomes kind of a lazy, negative thing, kind of like, oh, yeah. And then they do this kind of throwback thing, kind of a winky throwback thing. It's fine. Professional wrestling, you should have fun. But I'm sorry. I think I think we have six or seven guys on our roster who are six, five, six, six and above mm -hmm. 260 and above. OK, we're not a bunch of cruiserweights over here. We are right. big, rugged, tough and strong. Now, if that reminds you of the old days, maybe there was a reason the old days drew all that money. <laughs> yeah. By yeah. the way, let's not forget, and I just did a big interview for a, for a business magazine, so I'm sort of reiterating this point if anybody sees this other interview that I just did. Most of the country, let's just stick to America, most of the country has turned off wrestling. So I think it's a great time for wrestling. I think it's amazing that the market is finally loosening up after 20 years since the sale of WCW. I, I, I think it's fantastic. I, I love what's happening, but let's remember here in, in the midst of all our markdom. And I do use that word somewhat negatively, including me is 
most of the country doesn't care or watch wrestling. By the way, the business never ran that way until like the last decade. Why is that? Because it's become a more niche-driven product. Yeah. So if you want to watch niche Star Wars or niche Star Trek or niche whatever, Walking Dead, you do your thing. But the center of business is always the biggest market. And if you look at the way the NBA markets, you look at the way the NFL markets and WWE, when they get it right, they market to a mass appeal because that's where the money is. Wrestling is about money. It always is. The talent is there to make money because they have a limited shelf life in, in which to earn their money. And they should. They're, they're athletes. So it's incumbent on the business to say, how can I provide the greatest opportunity, not only for the company and to continue this great brand, but also for the talent. And I'm not into the niche driven thing at all. So don't, I just want to say, be, to be very clear, my own personal taste aside, I believe that what the NWA represents is the future of wrestling as far as creating a mainstream product. And there's a reason it worked all those years, not because it was sort of the way it was in the territories, but because it had mainstream appeal. And you had great workers who could work anybody on the card. Yeah, yeah. Well, up to that point, let me raise something else that I, I think it might also uh, uh, you won't be thrilled to hear. But the I don't even know if it's a criticism, but the reality that a lot of your roster um, are familiar to fans and and from from some time ago. I mean, there's there's a a, a fair amount of talent that uh, people saw in WWE in in the mid to late two thousands. Uh, people like uh, Chris Adonis and the Pope and Trevor Murdoch um, and some TNA guys. Uh, so where is that? I mean, do you see those guys as uh, a vehicle to to help um, present the future of wrestling, or are those guys uh, still young enough, talented enough that they can be the future of wrestling? I think that let's take a couple of names you named. Include Mike Knox in that list. Sure. Right. Yep. Okay. Mike Knox has never been booked properly. The NWA will book Mike Knox properly. Chris Adonis has never been proper uh, booked properly, other than his first kind of big run right there's a bunch of guys on the roster who've never been booked properly that are far more talented frustrated by the way the business has treated them and are looking for an opportunity not only to continue to do what they love but to demonstrate that the way they were booked and the way they were discarded was was false so that's what i'm here to provide right you know what i mean who yeah. who'd, who'd have thought when when brock lesnar left the wwe under a cloud i can't remember what year it was but i was watching who could have predicted what he would become as a brand, not only as an MMA fighter, but as a professional wrestler? Brock's become one of the biggest draws of the last decade. If you go back in a time machine and look at the way he was being booked and the way he was sort of discarded and treated by what was then the WWE sort of way of doing business, you would say that was a colossal mistake. OK, right. so my bet is just like a, a Bill Belichick with the Patriots, you have to look out in the veteran market and you have to say, Who's out here that's super valuable, that's been underutilized, that in the right system can prove that they're not only a winner and a top-tier talent, but they can draw money. That's on me to put them in that position. And then you and I can debate five years from now whether I made the right call. Secondarily, yeah. it's incumbent upon us to look at the free agent market for young people and try to find those faces that haven't been plucked up by the major companies and sucked into a system where they might be sitting and waiting for two years, staring at a wall, where in my system, they're going to get immediate uh, work and they're going to get immediate uh, veteran help from a great locker room and a lot of people behind the scenes. For example, our agents are Medusa, Jazz, and Homicide. So if you're 
20 years old, like some of our roster is, that's who you're learning from. That's how you're learning how to work. That's who you're working with. So I'm basically providing both a developmental system and a system to exploit talent that's been overlooked. I call it like the Patriot system, right? If you ever read about Bill Belichick's system under Brady was you have one big star and then you have a bunch of people who are undervalued on the market. If you put together the right team, you can win. So yeah. it's as simple as that. So I, yeah, I would quibble with that point. I, I, Chris, Chris Masters, uh, or Chris Adonis, as he's known in, in our in our world, <clears throat> has plenty left in the tank. Looks phenomenal. I mean, the fact that he was booked as sort of a, you know, an old school guy with the gimmick and a thing. Guy's a great worker. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Chris, Chris Adonis can draw money for the next decade if he wants to. And I'll help I, him do it. I, I agree on all those points. And, I'm, and I think it's the one thing, um, and I certainly don't mean to criticize. I mean, the, the reality is that they they are uh, former WWE names, but but I think you nailed what it is that they all have in common and uh, uh, make them kind of a, a uniquely suited fit for NWA, which is the thought that they they never got their sort of uh, their just due, right? I mean, and I, and with, I remember being uh, in Chicago for WrestleMania back in 2006 and seeing um, uh, D'Angelo De Niro at some kind of fan presentation and it, and it was over and he was just mingling with the fans and the star power that this guy exuded. I was like, this guy's going to be a huge, huge star. He had it all. And it just never kind of materialized, um, in WWE. Yeah. Uh, and, and let me, let me say this. And first of all, I like the tough questions because it's important because that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to sort of remind people that what they think about the NWA, if they've already formed an opinion, which is, let's say it's not negative, but it's not like they're not watching every week. First of all, they're probably wrong. And secondarily, they should want to pay a little bit more attention to this journey because it's the only journey right now in professional wrestling that's actually unique. Everybody else is kind of on their rails. You can pretty much predict where they're going. You can't predict where the NWA is going. And that's something to do with my creativity and the fact that we're running a different system. Um, the other thing I was going to say to your point is, and maybe this is where it's personal, is I know what it's like personally to be discarded. I made people billions of dollars in the music business and at some point along the way at, at a given age you know pick 32 or 42 i'm 55 now people have looked at me and said hey you're kind of done and i thought in my mind no i'm not right so i'm still a headline act you know still headlining arenas still headlining festivals but trust me a decade ago and a decade before that i was told it would never happen again so who was right and who was wrong how many people get drafted number one in the NFL draft and never never play a snap as a starter? I mean, the point is it's it's about the ability to evaluate talent. Within the WWE system, you can see why certain talents wash out because they want a sort of kind of certain type of mold. And it works for them. We started this conversation talking about the biggest spectacle in all of professional uh, wrestling, which is WrestleMania. So it works for them. So there's no criticism in that. But the fact that they overlook someone or discard someone because they don't see, the, see them as valuable in their system doesn't mean they're not valuable in mine. So my job is to prove to someone like you or whoever is listening that they are valuable. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to say, I, I, I think the guy who's sort of most synonymous with NWA is the best case for, for the kind of uh, philosophy uh, that you're talking about. Uh, and that's Nick Aldis, who uh, I remember when, you know, some years back when the word was, yeah, you know, Billy Corgan's got the NWA and he's, and he's building around Nick Aldis. And the reaction among a lot of people was Magnus, you know, you know, the, the guy from uh, a TNA. And I think there was even some of that um, in uh, uh, All In when he worked with Cody. And then people got to see Aldis. And, and I, you know, I, I've always pushed for him and 
in the PWA 500 to have a high ranking over the last few years. And I've called him a revelation. I mean, he really is uh, in, in a lot of ways, one of the best performers and, and maybe for a period there, the best performer uh, in wrestling in terms of that, that total package. W- what did you see in him when, you know, what, what you had to work off of was the Magnus years, which was fine, a talented guy, great looking guy. But I think very few people would see how he was packaged uh, in TNA and um, have the vision for the character we have now. Sure. Slightly different point, and then I want to get to your to your question, but it's it all adds up. Look back if you know it, if you know your history at all. Look at the way Dusty Rhodes was treated in in WWF. Dusty right. was okay. yeah, literally the top star, or or maybe the I mean he was he was one A or one B or whatever. Dusty and Flair, right? Crockett's. I mean, people are still talking about that era. Still, he comes to WWF and he gets treated very poorly, and they put him in the polka dots, and the rest is history. And now, you know, that's part of Cody's story, right? Cody not only wants to return to to the to the highest mountain, but he wants to win the championship uh, that was never given to his father, right? Um, that's. I think I'm right on that history, right? Because sometimes I make yep. an error and then jump, people jump all over me. Yep. Which they should. Um, okay. Now back to someone like Nick. First of all, it's important to note, and I didn't know this because, you know, I was sort of a casual-ish TNA watcher back in the day. And I remember him debuting in this big hype, this guy's coming in. I thought he was just some guy from a, from a show. I didn't realize that Nick had been working in those camps in, in the UK since he was 15, 16 years old with Marty Skrull, with Tom Latimer, with Doug Williams. So he'd been a professional wrestler for three or four years before he even had been on that show. And it was kind of, that's obviously that's why he got signed, but he was sort of offended by the thing. And, and, and right away he got that mark in the business that he was just a guy from like reality show or one, you know what I mean? People didn't respect that he'd been a worker. <clears throat> when I came into the TNA office, uh, I can't remember eight years ago or nine years ago, it's a blur now, <clears throat> you know, you poke around who's there and, you know, you can hear the office talk openly about talents, you know, often in, in shocking ways. And the word on Nick Aldis was that he was a pain in the ass and wasn't exactly. worth booking. And basically his, <clears throat> the difficulty of dealing with Nick was greater than his value to the company. So there was a sort of feeling like we're not really going to put him in anything significant. I'm talking about the office, not me. We're not going to put him in anything significant because we just don't want to deal with him. And he, he can be in these things, but whatever. Okay, fine. And, and, and then the other sort of personal part of that is I've known Mickey for 20 years. I think I knew, knew Mickey before she knew Nick. So I have a personal relationship with her that precedes their relationship. So, you know, I'm looking at somebody that I know in Mickey and looking at the man that she loves. And I'm thinking, maybe I kind of got this wrong or maybe I don't understand this guy. And when we were both at TNA, Nick and I would occasionally have conversations, I think partially because of he wanted a different opportunity. <clears throat> Excuse me. And partially because he knew I was friends with Mickey. So there was kind of a little bit more of a familial vibe than I was just some guy, right? So when David Lagana, who at the time was helping me run the NWA, came and said, I think we should try to build this thing around Nick Aldis, I had this kind of the same reaction, which is like, yeah, I mean, he can definitely be that guy. The question is, is can he be that guy with me? And then by extension, will people accept him as a legitimate champion or will they just see it as sort of a I don't know, you, you know, you pick somebody up just to kind of make a point. Nick has been a revelation and, and has established that he's a top guy. And the reason I started this whole long answer with Dusty is Nick's the guy you can see where maybe he wouldn't fit in other systems, but he's perfect for the NWA system. He's 
easily our top tier star. Um, and, and he's helped us build up other people and given other people opportunities because, you know, I know the guy who works behind the scenes because he wants the NWA to succeed, not only for now, but past his in-ring career. So, um, yeah, Nick's quality individual. That's the best way I can say it. And he's a prideful man as he should be. He's probably more in the mold of a Luthez or a Nick Bockwinkle, a very prideful, intelligent man who wants to do his business his way, which by the way, I'm kind of similar. So I can work with that. And so I kind of get where he's coming from, even though I don't always agree, but he should be that guy. So the fact that maybe that attitude washed him out of other places has nothing to do with me because for me, he's worked and he's helped rebuild the business. And no matter what happens from here um, and, 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 you know, God bless Mickey and God bless Nick, whatever happens for here, there's no doubt that Nick has given this opportunity. He put this thing on his shoulders and he's carried it forward. And for anybody who doubted that guy that got in the ring with Cody Rhodes, listen to that pop in the first 10 seconds when they're standing there and, and Earl Hebner has this holy shit look on his face, you know, cause that was the pop of the night, right? Because it yeah. had that. And why did it have that pop? Because the legitimacy of the NWA title, Cody Rhodes, personal story with his father and that title and Nick making a point. You can only have that. If those are top guys, you can't, you can't fake that. And those fans know that even if t- Nick's not a flipper and flopper, they know that Nick's Nick's the real deal. So that's, that's why we're here. It was it uh, uh, almost uh, a catch twenty two that uh, Nick was such a success in that role that I think that there were some fans that didn't want that belt taken off of him forever. I mean, they saw NWA as like like Flair in the eighties, you know, in, in the the interview position with that belt around his waist. That was Nick, and when uh, the the belt moved over to Trevor uh, and now to Matt Cardona. Uh, I think there's a contingent that is like, no, 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 no. That belt needs to be with Nick Aldis. Nick Aldis is the guy. I would argue it's the same problem that people have with sentimentality. Mm -hmm. As as I said on a recent promo, you know, I have to do what's best for NWA business. You know, and so I'm I'm always going to do what's best for NWA business. And if Nick's best for NWA business, I'm fine with that. Right now, Mm -hmm. Macrodone has been a revelation for the NWA. You know, he's been, he's been a fantastic uh, champion. He's totally great to deal with behind the scenes. I totally get why the guy's so successful because now that I'm sort of dealing with them on an interpersonal level, I'm a big Matt Cardona fan. Um, this is the thing, like we're kind of having a similar kind of conversation through about seven different points. So let me try to sum it up in a, in a slightly different way. Matt Cardona in the WWE constantly got himself over and got buried. By the way, Nick was TNA world champion. Mm -hmm. You know why they buried him? Because he got concussed, I think, in his first title defense, or he got concussed when he got the title. And when he refused to work because he was legit concussed after he won the belt, the office buried him. And you know how I know that story is true? Because I heard it from the office. I heard the office's version of how Nick wasn't willing to go out and work hurt with the title. That's why he got buried, not because he didn't get over. They put the title on him. Sting himself went to the office and said, put the title on Nick. Do you see what I'm saying? So, yeah. so my point is, is hey, if, if, if Vince McMahon or Tony Khan or Scott Demore or whoever else is in the game uh, doesn't see the value in these guys, I do. And, and, and my business is built on not only seeing that value, but believing in that value. Like, we're going to win together. And that maybe that comes from my band background where I really, you know, like not to bore anybody, but like in my musical life, people oftentimes say, Oh, you know, you're the pumpkins. It's like, 
no, no, I really need a band to make it work. Mm-hmm. It, it it really is about the band. So I have a different relationship to like why you would want to work with talent in, in a different way. And that's oftentimes what I hear from talent is the level of communication, the interactivity between their brand and ours and trying to find a sweet spot where everybody feels like they're winning. That's why, generally speaking, the, the, the boys tell me, and I hear it from around the way other ways, is they feel like they're given a different opportunity in NWA, including letting them go up and rip on promos without anything but a few bullet points to just do your thing. Matt yeah. Cardona goes, I mean, I literally say, can you give me this and this? And, and I stay out of the way. Same with Nick. I just wind those guys up and let them go. I mean, that, that's a different level of trust. You show, you show me where else in wrestling where people are allowed to go out and just totally riff off the top of their head. <laughs> you know, we're more like a, a, a rebel punk rock unit than we are, uh, than we are a sort of staid wrestling company. So that's what I mean. That's why I get kind of grumpy about the throwback thing. It's like, we're out here rocking, man. Yeah. I'm going to use this term again, catch 22. Uh, uh, and, and I guess the flip side of the point that you just made, uh, how frustrating is it when you, you do elevate or create a talent, uh, somebody like a Ricky Starks or a Thunder Rose, and I don't want to say create, but you, you put them on the spotlight, they get the first national recognition, and uh, the end result is they get plugged away. I, I remember having these conversations with Carrie Silken all the time in kind of the, the formative days of uh, Ring of Honor, where whether it was a Tyler Black or a Kevin Steen or what have you, they'd grow, 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 they'd become this big act for you, and then the next inevitable step is that they would leave. Um, so, so how difficult is it for, for you to run your business when in some ways, the more successful somebody becomes, um, it, the, the more dangerous it is because you might lose them. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm generally okay with it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually very happy for, for the talents you named and some of the other talents, some, some left under good terms and some left, you know, basically, you know, we got treated like the girlfriend that was getting shoved out of the way to go to the next girlfriend you know, suddenly somebody's gratitude immediately changes to, you know, I'm not so grateful all of a sudden because, you know, so-and-so is calling me on the phone. That's fine. I mean, I think it's just an endorsement of what I'm telling you, you know, that we were able to take talents that maybe were not hot on the market, put them in a position where people looked and said, okay, that person, that person. Um, It doesn't really bother me. Um, It would bother me if I felt that somehow it was mine. Like Ricky Starks is a talented dude. I remember sitting in the in the GPB uh, center where we would tape TVs before, and Ricky Starks was asking me what I thought he needed to do beco- to become a main event attraction. Of course, my perspective was from the perspective of the NWA, and I gave him those thoughts. He gave me his thoughts, and what is interesting, and this goes back to what I'm saying about systems, who Ricky Starks was in the NWA is perfect for AEW. He doesn't have to change a thing. In the NWA, he would have had to change something. That doesn't mean I was right and he was wrong and now I'm wrong and he's right. And that's what I'm saying. He's perfect for AW, um, super charismatic, very talented guy. And we thought that too. The question was, how can we make him work in our system? So it's it's a good thing. Like, I, and, you know, the last time I communicated with Ricky, I sent him a message and I said, I'm proud of you. Like, you know, like, go do it, man. I mean, that's that's what we're here to do. So. Yeah, I only get I only get grumpy when I feel that the talent sort of like goes from kind of a hey, this is awesome, thank you for giving me an opportunity to you know you're in my way. Um, yeah. I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of that because I've dealt with that on the musical side many many times, and uh, those things tend not to work out the way the talent the other talent, not me, thinks they're going to work out. So I, I'm I'm old enough to know that you know you just wait around long enough and they'll figure it out, um, and maybe down the road they'll come back and sort of circle back and say. I was a little bit immature in that situation because 
I really do want the talents to be successful. And I'm not enough of a delusional person to think that if Vince McMahon calls a particular talent tomorrow, that they're not going to want to go. So my job is to put them in a position to succeed. And if they succeed at the higher level, you can argue that I'm right. Right. I mean, you can argue that I've, I've done something good, not only for myself, but for them. And I'm lucky in that I look on, you know, I look at whether it's WWE main events, Bobby Lashley, uh, uh, I always call him Drew Galloway, you know, Drew McIntyre or uh, Matt, sorry. I can never remember his other gimmick name. He's McIntyre now. <laughs> yeah, it's right. McIntyre. Right. Yeah. Um, it's Drew Galloway in, uh, in, uh, in, in TNA. Um, you know, I, I've been blessed to work with, you know, main event talents, like literally try to figure out how to shoot promos and, and put together matches. And then, you know, whether you're talking about a Thunder Rosa or Ricky Starks or, or an, even an Eddie Kingston, who obviously had a name, but right. I think, I think the NWA positioned him in a way where people went, man, there's a lot more left in, in Eddie Kingston. So God bless them all. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. That's what we're here to do. So yeah, it, but it doesn't, it doesn't frustrate me only, only when it gets into ingratitude because that's a weird spot to be in because I'm not delusional about what I'm providing you. So if you think somehow I am, that's, that's never been the case. I, I talk very openly about those opportunities. Yeah, I think that's the case for Eli Drake, too, who, who I know had to run in, in TNA and develop some of that character. But I feel like it was an NWA where we really saw that come out and him start to interact with the fans. And I feel like he was just getting started uh, when. Yeah, when well, then, he was under contract. You know, that's the thing. I worked a lot with Eli in uh, in, uh, in TNA and we, we pegged him as one of those top guys. We set him up to be a top guy. And then the pandemic hit and we had to shut everything down for a while. And then he ended up getting signed. and. I mean, he's a great talent. I mean, geez, you want to talk about a? He's one of those guys where it's like, he, you never know where he's going to come from, but he always, he, he's, he kind of reminds me a little bit of the rock in that way where it's like, Oh yeah. They can take something and you go, where's he going with this? And somehow he lands where you go. Oh, that's even better. He, he's a really, really, really unique talent and, and very skilled professional wrestler, which for me, I, I, I always put the two together. If you can talk and you can wrestle, I mean, that's why he's up. That's up why he's up there right now. 